you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. Morning. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, I think last, I was like, he mentioned something last week that we may have to play it by ear this week. And I think it was because it was your birthday. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We did just have the, Colleen once again outdid herself. She was amazingly generous and nice. uh, and she so much knows what kinds of things I like. So I got some new tunes and some new books and some new things to wear and some new puzzles. And she just right. really, and I, it's funny, I need to be able to post things occasionally to our, our gig here. She does amazing rapping. And especially bows. She makes her own bows. She's gotten her all kind. Exactly that. <laughs> no, nobody handles the turntable like her with her waxed fingers. So, I can see with big shades and gold uh, chains. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know. As a brief aside, when I'm trying to imitate a rapper, I don't think that I'm mocking them. I'm trying to imitate them. <laughs> When somebody chooses to wear a big clock or somebody has the big glasses or something like that, it's not that we're making we're not trying to appropriate their culture we're not making right, fun right. of them that's what they do to stand out i need to have like my was it deaf mouse most de- not most deaf mouse something mouse danger mouse i need to have my helmets or i need to right. have, you know what i mean it, i think it, it automatically becomes a mocking parody just because we're old white guys old white guys can't rap white men can't jump old white guys can't rap <laughs> exactly I, it, this is very parody music immediately jumps on latest trends and stuff like that so i we've never talked about this before a couple times i've been to the festival in chicago called the fump the funny music right right it's really excellent it's not only weird al yankovic which is probably the best known practitioner but there's all kinds of other guys throwing toasters and worm quartet and i boy there's so many good ones that i don't want to leave anybody out in my list of who i want to give there's the let's see bards library bards Anyway, all kinds of stuff. And because they really stay current, it really is funny to see, if not old white guys, middle-aged white guys trying to wrap it up. And you, you look like you're jumping the shark from the word go. You know? <laughs> you're just, you don't have whatever that thing is of, you don't look dangerous. You don't look. <laughs> <laughs> I do not see a posse. <laughs> exactly. And yet, some of the stuff they do, I, I, like I said, I so much don't want to insult, but there's some people that are really, they've done, there's parody is understanding the style, the kind of music that you're making well enough so that you pay homage to it. You sound just like it while you're teasing a little bit, or the lyrics are a different subject matter than what you had started off. So Weird Al is fantastic about that. All of his songs sound like the original stuff. When you hear Smells Like Teen Spirit, it's just the Nirvana version except taken to an extreme here you know what i mean right. i live there that kind of thing and so he did the uh, white and nerdy from white charmillionaire exactly. i think exactly and where he's around going on a segue not the most rap thing so there's a guy named luke ski that was one of those like early white guys rapping and you're like you're not quite eminem but he's really witty and he really 
that to me, the most impressive thing about rap is they're great rhymers. You know what I mean? It really is that they can, like, one of the things they often show in movies about people proving that rap is a form of music. I know that's a terrible way to say it, but there's a couple of movies that have scenes like that and that they're so agile in terms of just lay down a beat for them and they start talking about rapping about a certain subject and it just flows out where it's got the right rhythms and it's got the right rhyme right. schemes and it really is and it isn't just robotic it doesn't sound like chat gpt put this together there's emotion to it they really have emphasis on the right syllables so that it sounds edgy. <laughs> and yeah. you know what i mean i really love people that whatever that talent is that some people have second city has always been incredibly impressive in this way they just make up a song on the spot someone will they'll just start singing in a certain rhythm and it might be that it sounds kind of like surrey with the fringe on top or whatever that song type is but they Hip-hop. will just immediately have funny lyrics and and i'm pretty sure that it's not that they have these preloaded and that they just create the opportunity to do things they've already thought of it really is improv where they just start in real right. time things that have the right to it and the right rhythm and the right uh, i love it i love and i believe like that in real time so i believe i've been seeing it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop officially saying it's the anniversary. A documentary on it exactly, yeah right yeah and, and you know rap and hip-hop and all that i know you, you you'll get the metalheads you'll get the classic rock guys you'll get the classical piano guys you'll get the bare manilow people or whatever whoever is saying oh that's not music that's or but that's Ooh. what they said about elvis when they were coming from big band that's what they said about elvis when they went to metal it, it all is and i've been seeing this pop up more and more lately just because rap and hip-hop is considered a different type of music and a art form of its own doesn't make guitar rock or classic rock or prog rock any less musical or any less artistic. It just it's totally the, different. The, big, the bigger umbrella, if you will. Yeah. yeah. You know what? My biggest, and it's not a criticism, but it just is a, a fact for me and for Colleen especially, I tend to like melody as much as I like rhythm and things that don't have right. both of them don't work as well for me. So when I hear something that seems to just be a beat, and variations on a beat, but it doesn't have singing to it. It's spoken word stuff. Some of that doesn't seem as musical to me. I like it where it's the combination because they, I, I, that's just, it moves me differently. It gets, it is more memorable to me. It stirs me differently. Right. So I, there's a number of rap, hip hop, house, jungle. I, I have dipped my toe in because I love music of all kinds and the best of it rises to the top sturgeon's law 90 percent of everything is crap so there really is a top 10 percent of the best of rap and so i try to listen and this is not thing too one of the reasons that i don't necessarily like certain genres of music is i hate being yelled at for minutes at a time so i don't like death metal really dark stuff where the guy's got the growling voice and he's yeah. yelling at you and <laughs> it's not even intelligible or that it's kind of i i swear pretty liberally and yet when a song is nothing but swearing and it really just seems to be incredibly angry, the fuck the police type stuff. I don't know that I love the police more than I love music. So it's not about, oh God, support our boys in blue. It really is just, it seems lazy to me. And maybe, and that's a terrible thing to say, I don't have their experience in life where they really have forever not had police be a good force in their life. They've actually had them be a danger and a, and a, 
So I can understand why that has to bubble out in their music when people, where people sing about, folk singers sing about their protest songs or their love songs or whatever else it might be. It's because that's their experience in life. They were there, the riot. And rock and roll is about, you name it. Rebellion. Rebellion, maybe a little bit of getting laid, whatever it is. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And so I get that there's different kinds of musics that speak to the various different experiences. And maybe that's why it doesn't connect to me that much because I didn't grow up in a dangerous place. I, I, I understand that I don't want those places to exist and the incredible, the thing that can spawn that kind of anger and despair. Let's fix that. Let's get that to go well, uh, away. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's not def- my music. It's just not my music. Right. For- <laughs> there, there are definitely some rap artists and some rap songs, some albums that I like. There are particular songs I may like of an artist, but not most of the other stuff or an album or whatever. There may be a few I like of a style of rap hip hop, but not some of the other artists in that style. And that's like anything. And it's just not my style of music. But I also, and again, like you said, I didn't grow up where I was having the fear, the police coming in and beating me or something like that. I didn't, I just, I didn't grow up that way. So I'd never make a good rap artist like Vanilla Ice. (laughs) You know, let's just, but on the flip side, when you get some of these rap artists that have been around for 20 years and they're approaching their 40s and they live in a $4.5 million mansion and drive Bentleys that, yeah, I, I don't know if I really believe that they're like, <laughs> what they're rapping about any longer is part of their world either. <laughs> it's really Rock and roll has always been about rebellion, as you said. And so there's a certain amount of that is exactly the course that was plotted in terms of life experience. And rap had a different experience, but it was still about this world sucks. And let's let's fix it. And let's fix it through maybe like rioting and destruction, not negotiation. So the police, for instance, had all kinds of songs earlier in their career that were pretty much the shoddy state of the world. They're growing up in Britain when it was at some of its lowest economic and socio socioeconomic point and stuff like you that. too also you, exactly you too ub40 ub40 the band was named after the unemployment form you know what i mean so having said that what you just said when you get to be 40 and 50 you just don't have that burn in your gut rage against the pain has some great stuff but if they're still doing that when they're turning gray it's gonna seem a little odd it'll be right. like a self-parody almost sting grew out of the police he made more beautiful music and more adult music and i think that one of the reasons that i read that they really aren't looking to do police reunions if you will is because it's really hard to put on that really angry shirt again when you haven't worn it for 20 years and you're like oh this is ridiculous i'm not this guy anymore there's been a number of let's see what's this guy named rob paravonian does a great song about not only later when you're 50 years old but even while you're like Let's say you're 25 years old and all of a sudden you're making a ton of money. It's hard to be in spiritual Congress with all of your downtrodden friends when you got the $5.4 million mansion that you just made. You know what I mean? It paid off to be about rebellion. And then I wonder, so who was it? Malcolm McLaren? There's some people that have been amazingly cynical about what's the next group that's going to tell the rest of the world to go to hell that I can put together. I know it's going to sell records. Alice, for a certain point, like he did all that to be the shock rocker yeah. that he knew was going to be the one that your parents aren't going to let you listen to this. Entertainment business, folks. Exactly that. It made good music despite it. Some of the his albums held up well and stuff like that. And there's others that really seem to be there only about the rebellion. And then when they stop having things to rebel about, maybe that's why they have not much left to say. 
so there's a whole bunch of musical theory going on there but i think that's really true there's some people woody guthrie wrote all kinds of protest songs because it was terrible conditions in the united states and i think that not enough of that changed that he didn't sing those things like through his 50s 60s i'm trying to think how long he lived and his son arlo guthrie took on a lot of that mantle because there really still are those income disparities and bigotry and whatever else might be going on that's i think you know this right Irving berlin wrote america the beautiful and it's but a manifest destiny song, if you will, that white people get to take over the world and push everybody else like off the coast into the water. And uh, Woody Guthrie wrote, this land is your land in response to that to say, it isn't about who owns things. It's that we all are citizens and right. we all own this. And it's some of those things are so, wow, perfect that they are a forever song. You know what I mean? That, that that's something that speaks to the american spirit so much that i don't know that you can be any generation and not still say yeah that's how i want my country to be the more things change the more they stay the same you know talking about the the music and we talked about this before sellouts you could say if the police got back together they wouldn't be that funk ska sound they'd be something adult contemporary and oh they're sellouts no not really they're just different stage of life music reflects Mm -hmm. life and there are and always have been groups put together because oh it'll make money some of the super groups which of the 70s a lot of them had good music but a lot of times they were put together because they're like we're in between projects with our main bands and we know we'll make money but even beyond that we look down upon like the boy bands they most of the time they're not very they can't uh write the music they learn how to dance they learn how to sing and they look good but that's they're the monkeys of a generation later, you know. What yeah, I mean? they're, yeah. They're the which fun. oh, I got a trivia fact about the monkeys actually. <laughs> um, okay, but uh, but that's not to say that it's still not part of the music scene because it does speak to some people and some people enjoy that as part of the, what music is to them. Let and it go. To some people like they sell out stadiums. That's a very yeah. popular form of music is the K-pop from Korea or the boy yes. band, the NSYNC, and all that kind of stuff. I agree, but I always find it there's not enough to it that it is too much sounds the same bubblegum pop exactly bubblegum so it's not my favorite kind of music but there's still there's very catchy things and i have no problems with it except that wow it seems a little manipulative to have the svengali behind it all you know what i mean Uh, yeah it does but you could find examples maybe not a whole genre of musical artists created just to be pretty looking boy bands and make money. But you have examples of that all over. I, me and Colin were just talking about this. Parliament Funkadelic, a great funk band that was very influential of the 70s, George Clinton. That man was a producer. He put the band together to make money and have a have a sound that would bring in money. The same with the, the Combat Rock album. Was it The Clash? Or uh, like London Calling and Combat Rock. Yeah, yes, okay. or, I think exactly. they, I, I, I could be wrong on that, but they're one of those punkish bands. They were just sitting around. So what type of band can we put together that'll make us a lot of money? And that right. I, I, I'll have to look that the up. Sex Pistols. The Sex, sex Pistols. pistols exactly. Yes. Yes. That's right. it. That, that, sex that pistols. Malcolm McLaren, who I mentioned a while back, he's the guy that had put together. We're going to have this be just as rebellious and as the formula for what we'll sell to kids of a certain range because like the God saved the queen version that isn't really yes. respectful. 
that's what England needed at the point. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. I've heard stories of Nirvana, not that some big producer put them together to be that way, but the band had their stage image and then their offstage image because Kurt Cobain was that emo, gothic, kind of grungy like, figurehead. Over the eyes. Looking yeah. Down, exactly. You know, okay. but from several interviews I've heard of other people, when he was backstage, he was light, happy, joked around, had a good time. But the audience, like, my whole life is based on you. I'm going to be like that 24-7. But like Alice wow. Cooper, okay. he wasn't like that 24-7. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that. So, that, so I love how our things always weave in on each other. Colleen and I are going to go see Three Dog Night on Friday night. Nice. I've never seen them live, and I like them a lot. But they're absolutely one of those that, like, whoever was there, um leader their producer was very good they didn't write their own tunes and i think some of them it really is like the three main singers and they had a fantastic backing band that was kind of like the wrecking crew it was the right. best of what they had to offer but having said that they sure were prefabricated they bought songs in particular they thought were going to be three dog night ish and the fact that there's a dozen of them speaks to the skill with which the people that put that music together said i know what america wants a nice three and a half minute perfect little joy to the world and one and like i said we're looking forward to seeing it because we like so many of those songs but i have no illusions that it was this guy's the best guitarist of all time <laughs> this guy's the right. you know what i mean it really is a manufactured sound if you will and then having said that on monday i can't believe this is so cool extreme is back together yes it kind of like ceased to be when gary sharon went to join van halen for the ill-fated van halen three but nuno betancourt has been one of my guitar heroes forever first time i ever heard him do flight of the bumblebee on guitar it's like this there, is there anything this guy can't play him and steve i we can start going into our favorite like unheralded but fantastic guitarists they're back and i think it's everybody in the original group at least it is that voice yeah. and that i'm guitar. pretty sure it is right and the fact that like they're they're more than that porno graffiti album is so fantastic that's a perfect album not a bad cut on it so we're going to detroit to see them with living color opening for them and, and i've been listening color. to living color again lately honestly cult of personality they and two groups that really for the time were fantastic i'm getting chills at how much how excited i am about this show so i'm just so happy that they're still around and the extreme did a fantastic thing where they put out a video where they're showing him like being just an amazing shredder with Eddie Van Halen's passing, there's a whole bunch of people that are saying, who's the successor? And some people are saying, look right over here. This guy's been doing fantastic stuff for 20 yeah. years now, if not 30. 30. And finally, maybe, I'm sorry that Eddie's gone, but that amazing shadow that he cast over being the guitar player of all time, there's plenty of other shredders. There's plenty of other amazing, right. can this guy play more notes? He's just an amazing creative <laughs> so have you heard have you listened to the new album yes exactly it's... rebel and everything else. i just i'm i can't wait to hear it's funny colleen and i were just talking about so many times when you go to a concert you're like when they say and now from our new album the whole crowd goes <laughs> i can't wait to hear the new album because it's it good such quality it's so fantastic whatever they were doing to lurk and save up their best material until it came out in a big salvo, a big burst. Man, that new album is fantastic. I can't wait to rock they out. totally break what we just said about <laughs> as you get older and life changes because these guys are in their 50s. And that they still stuff got fires. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just, I'm 
the, the contrast between Three Dog Night, it'll be a, a really gentle sing-along type show. And then I'm looking forward to having my face melted off by these guys rocking out with me. Yeah. And I don't know, some of the quality of a band is, am I willing to drive to Detroit, Pittsburgh, Columbus, not only Cleveland, I got, when I looked at, they weren't coming to Cleveland. It was like, I'm not missing this. I have to go. And luckily I found out about him in time. So it was Monday. It really could have been that somehow I didn't find out about the tour until Tuesday. And now they're going out to California. Yeah, I miss wearing good ladies that way. Oh, I hate when that happens. So that's, Colleen got me new music for my birthday and some of the stuff like one is Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Oh, and that's I, a great album. Yeah, and we're, we're trying, here I can actually do look it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can get the glare off of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it was called again. Raise the roof. Exactly. And what an interesting that they discovered each other, that their voices meld or that they take turns so well, they enjoy each other's company. I've not seen them live together, but that's Robert Plant has led Zeppelin. It's right. one of the great voices of all rock and roll. I thought that he might be the rock and roll voice even more than Freddie Mercury. But Freddie Mercury had different things he could do besides the rock and roll. But having said that, his voice still holds up really well. It's finely aged bourbon or something right. like that. He hasn't gotten scratchy. He hasn't lost his voice. He just sounds like he's still going. And now he's got even more soul in his voice. So can't wait to listen to this. And as soon as we're doing this, I got the new Yes, Mirror to the Sky. And wow. same situation. Yes is has changed. Steve Howe is still wow. there. And they've got, they've replaced many of the other people. Like, I don't know, and having replaced, there's still people like Jeff Downs has been in various differences of Yes or Asia for a long time. Asia, for right. 30 years, Billy Sherwood's been with Yes for a long time. But having said that, there's any number of bands that are just, now they tour and they tour, but they know the song, the, the songs that the kids are going to love and the kids being you and me, that they're oldest fans. And yet this is getting rave reviews that like, wow, they still had another great album in them. Who knew that you could be like 70? I mean that you can be still rocking out at 70 and progressive rock is not three chord rock you got to be able to play Steve yeah Hall has to be able to do amazing chops. techniques on guitar he's still got the chops so that i'm looking forward to that <laughs> isn't it interesting it just hit me i'm thinking of it a lot of the classic bands from the 70s and into the 80s the 90s were a down point for all of that. That the, There wasn't a lot of coming out. And a lot of the albums that did come out didn't hold up quite as well. And that's also the same time that the comic book industry was on a big downturn. We only almost lost Marvel. That There's not a lot of good individual comic issues from the 90s that people collect. Yeah. The 90s were definitely a downtime for pop culture, it seems. Yeah. You have to seek things out. Again, referencing 90% of everything is crap. There really is that top 10%. So I'm trying to think like for 90s and comic books, wasn't that some of the best Moon Knights? Wasn't that some of the best? There really were certain titles that came to before then and certain artists and writers that that if that, they started or they continued things that were going on in a fresh way. So it's not that everything was bad, but you're right. As an industry, it really started to seem derivative. And yeah. they don't know what to do so they're going to keep churning things out but not making big breakthrough type stuff i characterize the 90s maybe as being black and white they flooded the market because all of a sudden you had different distribution schemes and everybody could make comic books because prices came down and stuff like that and that's especially why 90 percent of everything is crap is because not everybody is a good artist not right. everybody is a good writer it takes a talent to write the right story structure and the right rhythms and that it hits the right it's got good story arcs and hits the right beats so that you like you have a cliffhanger ending and you can't wait for it instead of saying eh, it was okay was alan moore doing good things in the 90s yes I guess grant morrison like some of the maybe they had great odd comics because they were in response to 
I've already read 500 Supermans and there's nothing new happening in Superman, but I'm going to do Doom Patrol better than it's ever been done. Or something, I'm trying to think, right. of, I wish I could differentiate for sure between the 80s and the 90s. I think the big yeah. name comics, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, those type of things, I think those were really taking a downturn for the Maybe ones that it. were the most popular. Flagship titles were getting tired and they had to do interesting new things over yeah. here. What I mean, but I'm trying. When it what Keith Giffen's run on Justice League, and then I'm trying to think of certain things that might be okay. And in music, Tears for Fears did a lot of great stuff in the '90s. Thompson Twins did when the synth pop bands came along, and maybe that was late '80s going into the '90s. They were like, oh my god, anybody that can play a synthesizer now has a band, and it's all tainted love, which I hate because it's so simple and terrible. Have you ever heard the original? No, I haven't. That's actually the '80s. That's a cover. I just recently who learned about the original. Who did? Who did? I'll what? have to go look it up. I'm just look it up. Yeah, okay. I just recently learned that it's actually a cover, and the original is a way different sound. Because a buddy okay. and I were talking about cover bands or cover songs, and how why do a cover song if you're going to make it just sound like the original? Right. What's the point? And again, to digress a little bit, I hate covers where it's like, wow, you didn't really get what made the first one great. When I hear "Drift Away." And it and from Dobie Gray, it's so soulful, and it and then the maybe the newer one is like a little bit too pleasant. It should be more about despair and about world weariness and about finding faith or whatever else it might be. And then some people just don't get it. So here, the next thing I got, yep. I got Kansas, and it's unfortunately is it other upside down <laughs> Kansas the anthology, and I think it might have one or two cuts that aren't. So that's why it was worth <laughs> having said that. Kansas is a band that went away, and I really will rant sadly about this. They went Christian rock for a while. Kerry Livgren really went, him and Dave Hope went very Christian, and whatever was the good depth they used to have in their lyrics, up through like audio visions, it became oppressively, if you weren't a Christian, it really was like, wow, I'm really being, if not preached at, it softened them, or it just made them sound more generic. And when... Kerry Livery went away and Steve Walsh came in and Steve Morse came in as guitarist, who is from, wow, Dixie Dregs and Deep Purple. And he's, he won, the they had to retire the award right. for, in Guitar Player Magazine because he won 10 years in a row. It's like, nobody, nobody can beat this guy. They did a couple great albums. And I think it was early 90s, maybe late 80s, Power and In the Spirit of Things and Freaks of Nature that were some of the really good, a return to good Kansas. So again, I'm, I don't mean to belabor, there really wasn't, terrible music all in the 90s but you had to seek it out and sometimes yeah. it came from surprising places where if you had written kansas off because they got bigger and bigger went arena and then they sputtered out super cramped the same could be said of after breakfast right. in america they never had another great album in my opinion they had individual cuts that were really good like cannonball or something like that but and i think because they're Dave, davies and hodgson split and whatever dynamic they had and maybe it was a little competitive or combative and that's why they split but that must have lent something to their music that made it that they didn't recapture that and maybe it's roger hodson boy i hope everybody's taking notes about this because you should get these out <laughs> roger hodson had an album called high if i remember right no it's let's see it's the eye of the storm i have to do that we have to go through the lyric and remember how to sing come it. sail away like exactly. go sail. <laughs> <laughs> so he has a great album that sounds like what the next super tramp album should have been so maybe Hodgson was all along really the good part of, and I don't think that because the band, Hallowell and Siebenberg and Davies, of course, who am I missing? They really did great stuff together as a band. So it couldn't have been only Hodgson, but over carried that torch forward. It's kind of out of 
sticks. It really wasn't Dennis DeYoung in his older days. He became like a show tune guy, whereas Tommy Shaw and the boys and JY, Jim Jung, are continuing to do rock and roll instead of kind of like show tunes. You know right. what I mean? That's and we're making it into that, but there's a whole thing about tra- tracing the evolution of groups and how the addition of some people is sometimes a spark plug, and sometimes the losing a key person really is oh, oh there goes the soul of the group. Right. And I, I talked about this before. There's a great book called Rock Family Trees by Pete Frame that shows in a family tree style the various different versions of a band. And so for some things like Pink Floyd, it's okay, Sid Barrett or not, and then you're done. If you look at Deep Purple, there's like Deep Purple Mark 1 through Mark 10. They had all different kinds of different guitarists, different lead singers over the course of time. And Deep Purple's fantastic because when you had Richie Blackmore and Tommy Bolin and Steve Morse, like all the people that have been in this group, like, man, they always had a great guitarist. Did I get somebody in there? It's cool then to say, is there a particular version of King Crimson that is my favorite? Because sometimes there's a through line and they sound pretty similar. Sometimes it's, wow, they really did change and became... You name it, more modern, more synthesized, different versions of Jethro Tull have sounded quite different based on who else was in the band or when Ian Anderson's voice started to go a little bit and he did a different kind of music because he didn't have the bard of rock and roll range that he used to and stuff like that. I just recently listened to Crest of a Knave and Broadsword and the Beast, and they're really good, even though they're not that well known. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> I got to take notes, folks. You got to get yeah. Broadsword and the Beast. Man, Broadsword and the Beast has ah has a great song called Flying Colors about couples breaking up. And there's a lyric in that. Here's hope I can do this without crying. Did our friends all catch the needle match? Did we want them to? Tell me that isn't in how many couples you've seen that are not getting along. Yeah. And just keep it to themselves. They have to have the fight in front of other people. And it's so uncomfortable, but it's so human to do that to to get your digs in to to not be able to stop when you're unhappy i don't know i just that's a heartbreaker that one so anyway okay (laughs) two two actual things and i forget the name forgive me i know this is horrible who were the members of the monkeys i know davy jones davy jones mike michael nesmith right mickey dolenz and peter tork okay so michael nesmith Without the monkeys, he was a millionaire anyway. Because I know this because the mom invented whiteout. Yeah, something like that. She was a secretary. Quit paper or something like that. That's one of those things. As soon as I read that, that was one of the things I wanted to share with my friends in the same way that you're doing now. Because what a cool story is that? That is cool. (laughs) Wow, he gets to be a millionaire for two different things. What about the rest of us? (laughs) Okay, but the other thing I found out with two of my favorite properties. MacGyver and Rush. So down in Brazil, when MacGyver aired in the 80s, it replaced the theme song with Tom Sawyer from Rush. That's a great little. So why would they have done that? Is there any, do you have, did you read any explanation? No, that's all I got. Really cool combination. Yeah. Then, yeah okay, that's cool. <laughs> I, I can see how the lyrics, and that's what's cool about too, because the lyrics, I can see how they fit macgyver's whole persona and style his mind is not for rent and we call him eric exactly yes okay and that's funny because so often people don't get the whole context of lyrics to songs as a whole they focus on a line or the chorus and that's it and 
we mentioned the police sting forever was saying why is everybody slow dancing to the don't what every breath you take every breath you because take. it's about a stalker oh, oh, exactly it's a song about obsession and stalking so- yeah <laughs> so that that always cracked me up thinking about that and it's funny because there's a when you mentioned melody earlier i will like a song I will enjoy the music and think the melody is great, but I couldn't always tell you what the lyrics were at all, either because I'm not paying attention or they're hard to understand because it's you just that maybe you wouldn't like the song as much. Well, yeah, that's true. There are. Exactly. <laughs> right. So it's a testament to America's blindness about that. How many presidents or how many people have tried to say, hey, Bruce Springsteen, can I borrow Born in the USA for my campaign? Have you listened to it? It is not a <laughs> celebration of the United States. It's about the horrible conditions that we created where people like had to go to war. That was the only alternative they had. And then they died. So really that's the, that whole album. <laughs> you want to talk about rebelliousness. That whole album is Absolutely. a little bit dark, even though the songs are super catchy. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, does anybody have a better talent than him for taking, I don't know, for starting with born to run. That's a, an anthemic song. And yet it's got lyrics like, Baby, it rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. <laughs> yeah, woohoo, let's go. <laughs> I just, it's, in fact, who is it? Robert Wool actually did a comedy routine about that where he was like, have you read some of the lyrics that you guys are often like raising your hand in anthemic love and yes. stuff like that? And he, not only that, the river, darkness at the edge of town. Yeah. Like, there's a whole series of them where there, there's so much pain in his life and in this country and he captures it so well and so he really is maybe the guy that found a way to make that stuff palatable that we're really willing to listen and even sing along to it and only when you realize that he has celebratory songs she's the one and Ros- i'm trying to think rosalita but even that is my my dad says that if i become a rock and roller he's going to disown me that's not the happiest lyric around you know what i mean right. but i got the guitar and Oh, and I learned how so, to make talk. You know what I mean? I just, there's, he's really always had good rebellion in his yeah. songs, capturing again, the teenage spirit of it. And then he actually grew up and as an adult had some very adult like man, Nebraska is as bleak an album as you can get. I think it might be one of his least selling because it really was mostly acoustic. And even the topic was, was bleak. It was about being like out in the dust bowl, no hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, oh, So I had a conversation with some friends at one point. A lot of people point to Bruce Springsteen as like the spirit of America music and artist. But a bunch of these people were saying, now to me, it's more John Mellencamp. He's more of my spirit of America artist that I listen to. So yeah, okay. that's an interesting, I never thought of it, but they're very much similar in that way yeah. with their music this is so how would i differentiate that springsteen is kind of like the new jersey version of america and Mellencamp is the indiana the midwest version yeah East Coast, midwest you know what i mean that there's a difference as to what are you escaping from or what's the biggest problems going on when scarecrow sing when Mellencamp sings about scarecrow about farm foreclosures and stuff like that really wasn't a new jersey phenomenon you know what I mean? They each have their strengths and something. There's a lot of crossover because America has a lot of problems everywhere. <laughs> you know hey, what I mean? My, my opinion, what I say, they're both wonderful. Just listen to both. You're good. <laughs> Absolutely. Why are you picking between? Yeah. Remember, Mullican has a song called Paper and Fire. It yeah. has that great little, whatever that little riff is, 
on mandolin or something like that. It's, May, yeah. I'm trying to, it's piercing. And ordinarily it'd be like, oh, I don't need to hear that a lot because it's so piercing. And yet it lends such energy and urgency and frantic nature to that song that it's just some people know how to pick out exactly the right synthesized sound or exactly the right different tuning on a guitar so that it sounds discordant a little bit and that's what they're trying to capture in the song anyway they're both very reflective of americana (laughs) you can say that if nothing else exactly i I regularly more so with springsteen than with mellencamp i will start with his first album and i'll listen to him all the way through because i love seeing the growth of him as an artist and the travelogue of America, the, the history of yeah. America written in what he was writing about and his personal life when he was in love and then not in love and then back in love. That There's different kinds of songs. It, Boy, how can you be like he was divorced and then remarried? He got his rumble doll, finally Patty Scalfa, and he got together. But Juliet, right? I think not Lewis. doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, how do you fall in love with Bruce Springsteen and then fall out. I know that he's not only the person he is on stage. Everybody has. I'm not always me. I have different versions of me and stuff like that. And yet, that's just so sad that everybody else that America would hold up to as like the hero. He writes great music. What a life. He he, he was his own man. He did not sell out. He did this and this. And then you find out, yeah, but he had broken hearts too. He had lost love too. It, and maybe... Maybe that's the way it had to be almost for him to be able to write about that. He had lost love early on and stuff. I just, I don't even know where I'm going, except it humanizes him even more to me that he didn't have a perfect life. He had some dings in his life. You find out that somebody got cancer and recovered. It's like he really understands mortality now in a way that he couldn't have before. You know what I mean? So anyway. The fact that him and Obama hang out (laughs) it's <laughs> just the coolest thing to me. <laughs> exactly. I have good friends, Warren and Wendy, that loved have loved Springsteen all their lives. We actually got him as a concert at Champaign-Urbana. And we, Star Course, the student-run organization that did concerts, we got to run stage crew, backstage stuff. Nice. And I just, Warren was so unbelievably happy that he got a chance to meet the man. And it wasn't only then. He's now actually, he's one of the guys who will like, find out what hotel, hotel springsteen is staying at and go and hang out there and after a while they recognize him that is bruce recognizes warren and says hey you want to talk for a while and so they had a chance where they like went and laid down on a grassy knoll not that one and like how cool is that that he was so cool with his fans and that warren and wendy really did all the right things not worshipful stuff and not please sign this so i can sell it on ebay that they really have been like tell me about this latest lyric tell me about what's going and they were friends they became friends how cool is that? That's that very cool. What happens with some people that that remove that you have to have as a rock star. Some people let it drop and are re- regular people too. So hats off to Ward and Wendy, wonderful friends of mine, and hats off to the boss for being so human. Yeah. So you mentioned listening to the albums all the way through, yeah. that OCD starting at the beginning. My son has that a lot, and he's done it with many things. And we were talking this weekend, like Batman. He said, I want to read Batman. So he sat down and researched to get every Batman title and when they appeared, blah, 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 and then found them all one way or another. He's got like the DC Online Infinite. He has a bunch himself. He's bought omnibuses. And so just tried to collect everything. There might have been a few great... Pass going all the way back to 39 through the and he read them all he cataloged it and marked them and read them all i've never done that that's fantastic yeah 
many things since I was alive, which would have been 59 and on, did I delve back into the 30s and 40s very not at all near complete. <laughs> he, oh, he's definitely wow. showing his OCD there. He did the same with okay. Green Lantern. Uh, okay. And he's just, so now his new thing, he's discovered some of the pulps and he has taken all my Conan, my books and my comics, both the Robert Howard and the Lynn yeah. Carter and the Sprague and all those others. Oh, oh, Sprague de Camp, exactly. Spra yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, along with that, he, uh, John Carter of Mars and call and solomon kane and okay. so that brings up this weekend we were down at pulp fest ran into friends of the show jim and jim beard and john bruning they both had a, their thing there and i got a bunch of their books i think i've got almost all their books now so okay. they got to keep coming out with more i'm not they sold out of the six gun the new westerns anthology they sold out That's sold fantastic. out yeah so we were down there so colin was looking for all the Conan stuff and he got quite okay. a large chunk of it. And okay. this is the place to go. The funny thing was we were looking around. He's like, I think I'm the youngest person here. Honestly, <laughs> if you're at a pulp con, it really is. When were they published? 30s through the 50s. Yeah. You're already talking. And even the things you're mentioning when you're looking for Conan and Tarzan and Nick Carter and like the original publishings of those, that isn't recent. That's a hundred years gone. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? There's a ton of reprints of all that stuff through the years. And so my big answer paperbacks for Conan, for instance, which yes. were like first publishing a non-pulp form, if I remember correctly. And those are distinctive because they got all the Frazetta covers. Yeah. Wonder they left off the shelves because those are some excellent nice. painting for those yeah. covers. Okay. So my big find was I got almost a full set of the Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan. There, it, it, the prices range greatly. There's some places that definitely have collector available items that are going for good money in bags and they look mint perfect and all that. I wasn't that interested. I wasn't even really go buy anything like that because like I told Colin, I said nothing against any of these guys. But Gutenberg Project has all the Tarzan stuff if I want it digitally. And then I'm not cluttering up the house anymore. Yeah. But there's something about sitting there with a the book, reading there, with a the book. There okay. is. <laughs> that OCD thing kicks in again, too. So, oh, look, they've got number three for $4. That's great. Well, now I got to get one and two. And, oh, there's 20 more to get. I can't get just one or two. It's very difficult. So <laughs> I either got to not do any of them or whatever. I ran into the one place. They were just trying to sell a bunch of used books. Load them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I found one of Bill's books that I didn't have. Star Absolutely. Carrier, like nine, I think, or something. Okay. He's friend of the show, everyone. Bill yeah. Keith writes great military sci-fi. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> see him in a month. That'll be nice. But so I was just looking through and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's almost the complete run of Tarzan with the Neil Adam covers. So yeah. I was like, oh, and the guy goes, yeah, we're about to have a big sale. I'm like, what do you mean a big sale? Because they were already a buck a book. And he says, a wow. whole, he said a whole basket they had made up for 10 bucks. Oh, really? When are you doing that? He says, oh, like right now. I says, okay. So I'm right. <laughs> yeah, they were already all in the one box. So I just took it and, and it had a bunch of Acer double books that yeah, I uh, have a bunch of those. And honestly, I didn't buy those uh, all of them, but I looked for certain things because that's where the first works, the first appearance of a character or that kind of stuff. A lot right. of them are 
first feature has a tryout in the ace doubles yes you explain this online but for those who don't know an ace double is it's a paperback but it's actually two books and you read one and then you flip it over (laughs) upside down the other way is the second book so they can be this thick but it's actually kind of like two paperbacks joined together and they're a little squat they're cute (laughs) the theory was that hey we aren't sure about these two authors some people will say one of these two has to be good for 75 cents back then when paperbacks were like 50, 60, 75 cents. That two was a stories. Two yeah. fantastic novels for 50 cents. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I got, I was like, I wasn't going to buy Edgar Rice Burroughs, but for $10 and I got, I think I need 27 and then the last two. And that's yeah. it. Or 17 and the last two, 26, 27 or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, I just read my first Travis McGee book. Okay. McDonald, and he's been gone from 96. He's gone already 25 years plus. And yet he wrote, I think like 50 Travis McGee books or novelettes that might've appeared and stuff like that. I think there's 27 maybe. And of course, the reason that you and I say those numbers is because I know that I'm going to have to get them all now. (laughs) And it's like, you say it as OCD, but I always thought that was just the collector's gene. (laughs) If you have something, you want to have one to end of it. It's a a river novel, as they sometimes call it. And I don't want just this little tiny bend of the river. I want the whole thing. I want to see how it started and how it ends. I guess it's a point of view thing. (laughs) Depends who you're talking to. If you're in that room, it's a collector thing. If you're laying on your analyst couch, it's an OCD thing. (laughs) I guess that's it. Having said that, I, I bought one from Amazon that's like an older version of it, but was in fantastic condition. And it's hard. They're hard to find. Most of them have the breaks in the spine and they're reader copies. They're chewed on and stuff. And what I thought was, I know I'm going to have problems finding everything else in equal condition. So I'm faced with what you just did. Am I going to try to, I'm going to get not only the regular form paperback, but they reissued them as like quality paper, no mass market paperbacks, quality paperbacks. I've lost the different names they use for these various different things. And when they reissued them, they have united covers. They all look the same. And so maybe that's how I'm going to get all the rest. If I can find them, not for 15 bucks, but for five bucks. And I'll just say, oh, if I line them up on the shelf, they're not going to be a perfect set, which is what I like to see. They're going to jump around in terms of what factor, form factor. Yeah. But they're good enough that I want to have them all. And having said that, I remember, I love when people tell me about that, that they, when someone told me about the Prey books by John Sanford, and like when you discover, oh, there's not just one, there's 30. (laughs) I get to go haunt the bookstores. I get to go on Amazon. I get to go find a good copy of all these things and make them my own. And in fact, when I saw this copy of the first Travis McGee book is so nice that what I said to myself was, this is the joy that someone's going to get when they buy my books. Because I've got things that are, I'm 64. I just hit 64. Today's my birthday. And I have things that have got to be 54 years old that are in fantastic shape. So they've made it half a century without a break in the spine, without a dog ear. Maybe the pages, the edge of the pages might have changed color a little bit because they're exposed to the air but you look open it's like a little bit but there are clean white pages inside someone's going to be really happy with my james bonds my doc savages my perry rodans my all those things that i was buying when i was young my mad magazine paperbacks fucking ecstatic when they see my collection. absolutely yeah <laughs> so, so if anybody's taking notes and oh big collections <laughs> let, let me tell you about mac Bolin, the executioner <laughs> like that I, I know i bought at least the first 120 or something like that as well as able team and phoenix force which were spinoffs of his 
And hey, speaking of what was good back in the 70s and 80s, there were tons of these men's adventure paperbacks coming out. And I didn't just get Mac Bolin. I got, in fact, my like even better, The Destroyer. The Remo Williams saga yes. are fantastic. Death Merchant was pretty good. The Smuggler. There's all. There's probably 20 different series that I got that were variations on guy used to be in the army. Now he fights. Yeah. He's going to kill all the mafia or he's going to stop all the human traffickers or whatever else it might be. Sometimes anti-heroes were like, especially the Punisher, that is the version of the executioner that Marvel did. He's a madman. He's not really a noble guy. He's kind of, I'm going to kill a lot of people and thank God I'm killing the right ones. But, you know, I'm killing the criminals. But he didn't really care about collateral damage. He wouldn't fight Captain America. There's a fun fact to know and tell. Who's the only Marvel guy that the Punisher would not fight? Captain America, because he believed in him. You know what I mean? Anyway. <laughs> and uh, another, uh, to add to that list, the Deathlands series. Yes, many of those. Dystopian exactly. fun one, which like a lot of these, obviously, they're all by James Axler, but James Axler is like a different ghostwriter every issue, every one. Same with Mac Bolan. There's 300, 400 of those now, and they've yeah. been going on forever. For a long time, it was Don Pendleton. He really wrote all of them. And then at some point, I think when, bear with me, Eagle took them over. They were published maybe by Signet or Bantam. I'm trying to think who the publisher was. But then Eagle is the company that started to put out all the spinoffs and everything. And I think that they did the same thing, that it wasn't just Don Pendleton anymore. It was um, ghostwriters of various different kinds. Though yeah. Don Pendleton's name might have stayed on the cover. They do that a lot. Kenneth Robeson was never Kenneth Robeson for Doc Savage. It was Lester Dent for 160 out of the 181 of those. I think Maxwell Grant was mostly Walter Gibson for The Shadow. And there's yeah. 600 of those. And I, I've everything that's ever been published as a paperback, I have of The Shadow. And they've taken multiple runs at it. But I've never seen the effort to put all those 600. So if you really want to read the old shadows, you got to get the pulps. You got to go to the pulp I've fest. Never made that at all. I, and I, I, I really will next year. This was a crazy weekend for how many things were going on. Pulp fest was going on fan expo. Maybe that's this coming weekend in Chicago. There was like multiple Gen Con was going on in Indianapolis. Right. And man, if you're a geek, like, why did you, couldn't you guys talk? Couldn't you right. not have to make me make a choice as to right. all these different things going on? But that's in in even ever a freer schedule that Colleen and I now have. She's okay once in a while when I've gone and done my pinball fest or my comic book fest or my Progtober fest. Now I'm going to Prog Stock this year, by the way. So that'll be my cool. Prog dosage. And then she gets to like, have the ladies over for tea, take a weekend long bath, whatever it is that ladies get up to when the guys aren't around. <laughs> do all those things <laughs> i'm sorry i was gonna say colin had a couple really good finds he got a couple green lantern pages that were the color reference charts that they did right. so those that's are cool. so they have yeah comic book material okay that's cool a, that's cool a little cool. bit right. but his, the find he was like so excited about was okay. he found some will eisner the spirit yeah. and it wasn't a book it wasn't a reprint nothing like that it was a newspaper that there were only like three newspapers in the world that printed that when it came out on full size newspaper and he got a copy of one. So he was so excited because they're like ultra rare. He didn't even know they existed. They right. were so rare. So have that happened. Good for him. There's nothing like being a collector where then you go to a fest and you're like, I didn't even know this existed. Of course I now must have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's when you talked earlier about the ace doubles. So we talked a little bit about this before. There's a whole these heroes have inspired multiple people because they, they didn't fall into the public domain, but they have knockoffs. So for instance, Doc Savage has Doc Caliban and Doc, there's a couple versions of him. There's one where he's like a Celtic hero, Doc She, S-I-D-H-E. And having said that, Philip Jose Farmer wrote a cool biography of Doc Savage called Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life. And he actually did a couple books that were continuations of the Doc Savage site, but as Doc Caliban and wove it into that there really are secret societies that have been around forever. And as one of his big, the big thing that he started was the Wold Newton universe. All those heroes are connected in by lineage, by all the way back to the Scarlet Pimpernel and Sherlock Holmes and Doc Savage and Tarzan. Doc Savage and Tarzan are brothers, according to these. And one of those books that I looked for forever was an ace double that had Lord of the Trees on one side and the Mad Goblin on the other. And they were his knockoffs of Lord Greystroke, Greystroke, Tarzan, and Doc Caliban on the other side. And like, when I finally found it, I really was like, this is the grail. I've looked for this forever. <laughs> nice. I, so that's, I love when I, I knew that existed and I was looking for it. But occasionally there have been things that the, the Comic Cons or the Pulp Shows where like the first time that I bumped into John Burning and found out what his company Flinch was doing, okay, Midnight Guardian, uh, akin to the pulps. And he's kind of like the shadow, the whistler, the, you know, yeah. there's any number of people. And I couldn't wait to buy him and read them. And the fact that they proved to be really good was like, I, I bought another series that there was like a science detective and boy, they weren't as good. They needed an editor. Is they, that Sergeant Janus? That doesn't Maybe. ring a bell. No, okay. About it and, uh, and it weren't from Fleet Publishing. Oh, okay, okay. Publisher. But and a lot of times, I don't know, I'm a, as soon as I had money, I was a soft touch for, sure, I want to buy a copy of your book to encourage you to do more and let you fulfill your dream of being a sell, an author, a real good selling author and stuff like that. And my discovery is, again, 90% of everything, not that good. Once in a while, something was they had it. They had an idea of how to build suspense. They had an idea of the character has to be like consistent throughout the book. You can't just, it doesn't matter my criticism. It matters that there's a difference in quality. And you can tell if you've read a lot when something is hollow, it's rushed. It's not, it doesn't hang together. There isn't a good vocabulary that it's repetitive. You know what I mean? When you read, somebody uses the same battle, the word battle again and again, instead of how about maybe a couple of thesaurus words. So you could say a struggle or a, that kind of thing, things right. that matter to me in terms of the craft of writing. And some people are just kind of, wow, this is not college level. This is high school, maybe junior high. I'm glad that flame is burning in you to get a story out of you. But maybe you need to go to some of the cool writers workshops that you go to <laughs> own your craft. Get yeah. back at it. Let people who are your friends tell you what's good and what's bad and be willing to knife the baby and take out the bad parts, rewrite the bad parts, whatever else it might be. Oh, I just, Pulp Fest might be one of those places where you really get more of a taste of that. Maybe any independent book fair is where you get that, that it's not the, it's been through multiple sets of eyes and editors, and it's going to be bestseller quality, at least in terms of the editing right. and stuff like that. But, and, and sometimes that also means that it's had the angly good bits chopped off of it. So it'll be the perfect music like we were just talking about. You know what I mean? Right. Sellable novel. I want to I was going to say, there, there's a lot of good-looking new pulp 
out there. Besides Flinch Publishing, which has some good stuff, I ran into a guy that had a new pulp King Kong story, and he had a Doc Savage King Kong crossover. And I, I think Tarzan okay. with something. Okay. Yeah, which he actually wrote a couple of the short stories that are in a couple of the Flinch anthologies. So that's okay. why I was looking at his stuff more. But I, I told Colin, I says, these look really great. King Kong, cool. But it's like a 300 page book. That's like almost a full sheet of paper size. I'm like, weren't pulps like really thin short? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They're not... They were meant to be disposable, quick fiction. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, to me, if you want to really capture pulps, you're doing short, punchy stories, not long, drawn-out novels. That's really true. Is there now a standard for, hey, if it's too flimsy of a book, people won't buy it because they think it's a pamphlet? You know, yeah. That, that yeah, there's all sorts of weirdness with that, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. I, otherwise, for my birthday, I got the new Tom Papa book. You know what I mean? Sometimes, oh, really? Uh, stand-up comedians can really be good at their craft on stage, but maybe they're not great writers. Nope. Tom Papa's really a good writer, too. <laughs> Nice. I, I got that one. I, I boy, I should have opened the show with this. So I got a really cool, a huge album book um, of a series. I got the first of four, and I wanted to try it instead of buying all four of them, even though I'm going to have to. Called Space Bastards. <laughs> it's about an intergalactic postal service that the mail will always get through, and of course. When you, you know you open up the universe to be well, this is a hostile to life planet. This is a crime planet. This is a planet about to go nova, almost like Doctor Who ish type plots. But the characters, all these, the mailmen that do this, apparently, honestly, I bought it without knowing a lot about it, except Derek Robertson does the art, and he did the art for the boys and various other series that I've really loved. And so I, I'll have my my biggest, most expensive comic book that I bought in a long time is space bastards and so i'm hoping that it's good because once in a while you do buy a pig in a poke it's the artist did the best he could but if you're not working with garth ennis or warren ellis yeah. or someone great you're not guaranteed to have the story match the quality of the art that i'm hoping that it does so that was a fun thing and uh, nice. what else did i get i got a pair of lounge pants that have smuckers things on it we went down to the, oh. we went down to the smuckers outlet store and, and that's true in brief this weekend was like, hey, we went on brain freeze. We had, ate a whole bunch of different ice creams all around Ohio. Yes. And so despite not being able to make it to Pulp Fest, it's because we had these other cool things going on. And that was fun. We went to a show on Friday night called Once on This Island. That was a, a, the most fantastic set I've ever seen. They had transformed the stage to look like an island with palm trees. And wow. like, and we were we had amazing seats. I didn't realize how good a seats I had gotten us. We were right at the front row. And so there's a lot of dancing and sometimes that can be overwhelming because you're not seeing all the choreography. But boy, when you can see all the expressions and hear all the voices, not just mics, but real voices and see that little trickle of sweat because someone's dancing hard and earning that show. We had such a great time. We knew nothing about it going in and it was joyous, joyful. Nice. Which word and like a fable about love and lost love and colonialism and the gods interfering in people's lives. And just for all of that, Kind of sounds a little mishmashy, but it really worked. It was entertaining as all hell. And I love one of those shows where you walk out and you're like, you're stopping people on the street. I think it's running for a few more weeks. You got to go catch the show. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so if this, if this, if anybody can still see it while it's here in town, or if it actually goes to other cities, once on this island, trust me, it's when you nice. see it on the shows okay. and it stands out. We'll make sure and put a link in the show notes. <laughs> exactly. That's a uh, the. Our TV just blew up. 
we have a Samsung that we've had for a long time, and we're watching something, and all of a sudden, no lie, like a rifle shot. Wow. And then the smell of burnt electricity, <laughs> and we were, oh, God, please don't set the house on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we jumped up, and we pulled things away so that it didn't have things around it, and then I didn't burst into flames, luckily. So I reached around and without getting shocked to death, was able to pull the plug out. So now the TV, and I think it was the TV as compared to, it wasn't the outlet because that really would have maybe gone in the walls and everything else. So it's funny, once in a while, things start to give you little signs of distress that they get a little artifact over here or that they get a little fady. No, this one gave up the ghost with a very definite- With a bang. (laughs) With a bang, exactly that. So- then we had to like, we need a new TV. We're not TV addicts, but it's nice. If we're going to have all these yeah. Amazon and Netflix, you want to have something to show them on besides our Your phone. Like watch yeah. things together. Exactly. Without going into a ton, hit consumer reports, hit all kinds of review sites. And the one that I really wanted was the Roku TV from TCL. And it's not available. It's gotten such great reviews that everybody bought them. Wow. And so it's, I don't want to wait for, and it's not even like backlogged that you can't sign up and say when one is available it just says nope sold out so piss i I hate that so if i got a roku box can i get the equivalent of that with the google uh tv thing and then still be able to just attach my roku box to it nope apparently tcl is making great tvs so in short i ended up buying a hisense one which was actually a savings of a few bucks and out of the big six tv manufacturers it's the smallest but the fastest growing because it's doing good quality type stuff and wow, it's been 10 years, 10 years at least since we bought this TV, so you have to learn all the new. Now it's not Ultra HD. Now it's XHD with the 4K and the, and yeah. the it, it, whether it takes ATSC 2 or 3 for what kinds of things you can attach to it. And does it take Dolby or Dolby Atmos or Dolby Vision? And so the big spreadsheet of what factors you're looking for keeps growing. And so after a while, you're like, I'm going to trust some review sites that really seem to be coming, bubbling certain ones up to the top. And that's why I was willing to go with the Hisense without knowing a lot about it, except that it's made in China. And so here's hoping that nothing against Chinese products. You have a ton of tiny stuff without knowing you've got Chinese products. I still want there to be like availability weirdness that even though I was able to buy it on Amazon, then they're going to come back to me and say, oh, that boat is stuck because of conflicts in the South China Sea. And it's not on the boat that's stuck in the Red Sea when that guy turned sideways and was in the Suez Canal. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. So having said that, this is one of those things like we talked about this a little bit last or the previous episode. If you really do a little bit of research and make the big decisions like buying a house, like buying a car, like that kind of thing. You don't worry about candy bars. You don't worry about this costing two versus $3. A TV that we're going to have for 10 years, hopefully, and that costs this costs $800. It's not a small thing. You still want to make sure that you get your money's worth. You right. know what I mean? Oops, I made a mistake. I'll just piss away another $800. But for those who are wondering, just as of August 7, Al did his research and for what was based on availability and quality and all that kind of stuff, TCL was really looking good. We had a Samsung and it lasted long until the Big Bang. <laughs> and <laughs> as long as we have the Roku box, it doesn't seem to matter whether you're buying Samsung's OS or Google or TV or Apple. We actually looked at the Apple TVs and they're not as flexible. I think I could still attach a Roku to an Apple TV, but they there's still a certain amount of premium you pay for Apple devices. And it wasn't enough quality based on to get to the premium that you're willing to pay to get to that. So 
I'm hoping that when I book up the high sense that I'll be able to say, yep, I made a good bet as opposed to, oh, I got to rebox this MF or and send it back because. Oh. Let me just comment on that. There's probably people listening that go $800. I can go to Walmart and get a 75 inch for 127. There is a difference. There's some, there's a lag in those. There's colors that get issues. There's just not as bright a quality of picture and all of that. So it's funny. It really is one of those things where you see the big list of all the different factors. For instance, where we watch is in our TV room and we don't have to worry about side angle viewing. It really is. We're going to be staring at it from the front. And so things that fade out with quality, LED versus OLED versus QLED and that kind of stuff, whether they're really black and really pop bright color. We're not in a well-lit room. Almost always we have the shades down while we're watching in that room. So I could dismiss a couple of the factors that if what they're talking about is we've got the most lumens of everything, we don't need that in spades. What I always try to do is buy a future-proof one. I don't want the one that's just come out with new technology. It's going to be superseded soon or that a lot of times where you can get the bargains is that it's older technology and it isn't the best, but it's half the price. And that's weird. I'm now in my 60s. I really want things that are going to help my eyes, not hurt them. So anything that has motion blur, anything that has nothing rasters anymore, it's all LED, but where you can see artifacts, the the things don't line up perfectly or that there's a delay, that the refresh rate is still honestly between 60 and 120. And I know that I've been at monitors. You know how you do this? You just kind of look over here and then you see, if you can see that the monitor is shimmering, it's like, that's not a fast enough research or a refresh rate that it will not give you eye strain over the course of time. So all those factors that you just talked about brightness and, and also I, I, for instance, a lot of things were about gaming. I usually don't game on my big TV. I play here up on my silly, don't trouble Colleen with it rig upstairs here in Skynet. And so all the things that they had about gaming capability and whether it works with the Xbox and the SNES or whatever else is an SNES anyway. (laughs) That's 30 years ago. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's who are the biggies now? It doesn't matter. I really could say that much, that doesn't matter as much to me. It matters that I can do both movies and tv shows and then if they have the 4k and the hdr and whatever they have kind of separate resolutions and stuff like that i want it that it's going to automatically do that for me instead of my having to say oh now i'm watching something on hulu and i got to lower the resolution or it looks even worse because it's artifacting because it's trying to convert on the fly and so i want the smarts of a smart tv to be that it takes care of all those little tunings and choices in the background and that it's it, like if I just put it onto movie mode, if it has different resolutions of movies, it won't be that I regret. There's only one movie mode, and I really wanted four. That kind of thing. Right. Like you said, I don't, and I don't know. There were things that were costing twenty five hundred dollars, and there were things that were costing three hundred dollars. And whatever that trade off is of, I really don't want the as big a screen as possible if it still looks murky, fuzzy. Hey. The screen real estate. And in fact, there's even a factor of where am I going to put that in the room? I want to fit it in between two other bookcases. <laughs> I'm really going to move the bookcases. You can't move bookcases for TV. That's no, sacrilegious. No, exactly. And you got to look at things like the shielding for the EMI interference, because <laughs> that, that makes a difference that we don't even think about. People right. don't realize you could have a really big TV with really bad electronics that are just blowing out EMI all the time and your router's there and you're wondering why you can't get connected and slowing down your speeds. So that is an issue that people don't think about. 
Yeah. Anything is invisible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it really was that it glowed when it was getting interference out. So like, don't move it far enough away so that the glow fades to nothing. But they don't have human factor ways of tuning that usually. A little bit about signal strength does drop with the square of the distance. So the farther away that you can put things, almost always you'll cure your problems. But you can't have it just leaning up against it. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. So. <laughs> and I always tell people, yeah. When I talk, when someone asks me, hey, I want a new computer, but I want to make sure it can handle things. And I'm like, trust me, anything you do, any computer is going to handle. You're fine. <laughs> but then they talk about, I can get this computer, but I want to upgrade the CPU and have the fastest CPU. And I'm like, you're wasting your money because 90% of the time that CPU is throwing things in memory or waiting for things to come back from memory or worse, throwing things on the hard drive and waiting for things to come and from the hard drive. times slower than any memory. Yeah. Exactly. So with... The new TVs, I tell people, look, look for a great, nice TV. doesn't have to be the biggest, but get a good quality sound system if you don't have one. The speakers, that's where they save money a lot is cheapo speakers. And movies really are enhanced by the sound, by surround, by hearing the little nuances all over. Exactly. I am gonna. I didn't get that with the TV, but they sold it so that you can get the sound bar that's supposed to be well matched to this tv but i also know that roku makes a good sound bar yeah also has then all the capability that it talks to the roku box in yes. a perfect way. so i'm going to have to like find a direct comparison between or see which one i go with we currently have a sony if i remember right sound bar and but it's got weirdness in terms of it, it doesn't it isn't fully compatible with everything as you change modes and i don't want to have to reboot my sound bar or change right. anything within my settings to do that so as much as I've had this guy also for 10 years, he didn't blow up, but it might be you're just not as compatible because things have gotten better and better over the right. course of these years. I want my electronics to be like, take care of me. What I want a virtual me, a virtual expert that's good about setting the settings and getting rid of all the problems and that it does that for me automatically instead of my having to find the, okay, go in, where's resolution, where's, I've seen sites where they actually have people that are really wonderfully obsessive about this and they go in and they say, for these, all these various different kinds of TVs, here's really the optimal settings so that you get good flesh tones. You get right. no motion blur when you're watching your Fast and Furious movie or whatever else it might be. You don't want to have the quality of that movie degraded. <laughs> yeah, and some people, the only factor they look at is how big it is. How and, big it is. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And then they'll say, well, I got a good deal on that. It was on sale for $86. It's a 300-inch TV. I'm like, yeah, yeah it looks like crap. <laughs> and hopefully, whenever they have the Black Friday sales and stuff like that, I don't think it's the latest and greatest. Almost always, it's the things they're trying to clear from inventory. It's, honestly, you can get, man, if you can get a fantastically large TV for 300 bucks, that really is pretty cool. And yet, in all the ways we're talking about, it might be that you're going to regret your choice when you go over to your friend's house and he spent 500 and it makes yours look a yeah. little dated. You know yep, what I mean? Absolutely. So, oh. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so happy you, birthday, man. Enjoy the rest of your much. day. What are we doing tonight? Going to a ball game. The Lake Erie Crushers are playing, no lie, the Washington Wild Things. All right. <laughs> so about that. And uh, we got a ticket where it's all you can eat hot dogs and hamburgers. That's dangerous. <laughs> so it's I, it's not like I need to eat more, but it just, it's, it's for a birthday. It's just so nice to be like, you know what? I feel like a bag of peanuts. Thank you for a bag of peanuts. And so I don't think we're going to gorge ourselves, but it's just going to be like i feel like a licorice whip you have licorice whips that's what i <laughs> will yeah. see it's a silly birthday thing to do yeah well, I'm well, gonna enjoy it. let's see how much should a hot dog be two bucks i need to eat a dozen hot dogs to get my money's worth or uh, I, are they two <laughs> bucks at can. this 
<laughs> really, a ballpark hot dog is like nine. So yeah. What I say? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Always a pleasure, Stephen. See, yes. and by next week, let's see, we're going to be in Detroit. So it might be that I'll ask us to bump it onto Wednesday or something like that instead of taking a break while we're in Detroit. Okay. Yeah, cool. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.